You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts, literally, to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer. Now, here's your host, Mick Garris. I'm Mick Garris, and from Nice Guy Productions, world headquarters overlooking the glamorous San Fernando Valley, this is Postmortem. Film and television have been undergoing a tremendous metamorphosis for years now. People seem to get most of their visual entertainment being streaming on various devices. We're no longer consigned to watching what the networks want us to watch at their prescribed times. Movies can be watched at your convenience on demand whenever and wherever you like. Cinemas are wavering at the brink of bankruptcy, but are clinging for dear life. Movies and television have always been the ultimate mix of art forms blended into a single medium. All of the arts and crafts are brought into play here. Writing, cinematography, acting, art direction, music, and so many other elements are required to make the final film that it is hard for one person to claim full authorship. Being the ultimate composite art form, it also holds that it is the platform that should be most open to change and innovation. For over a hundred years, we've been entranced by the motion picture and all of its elements. But for the most part, the film stories are told in a very traditional manner. However, with the evolution of movie-making tools and methods of consumption, there are even more ways to move off the beaten track. Artists are being crafty in new ways to tell stories that come with the revolution in technology. The fact that we can, as David Cronenberg likes to joke, watch Lawrence of Arabia on our Apple watches has opened up entirely new vistas for the creators. That means that not only are the manner in which we watch movies morphing, the manner in which the movies are made has opened new doorways. Perhaps it started in 1999 when the Blair Witch Project exploded into international success, not only in its inexpensive production costs as a found footage movie, but also in how it was marketed and interconnected with the internet. And now we find computer screen cinema. Unfriended and its sequel showed that you could really tell an amazing story in a powerful way on a computer monitor, telling it as it happens in real time. It's not only inexpensive, but when handled correctly, can really engage us in a remarkably personal way. I was incredibly impressed by how well the technique worked on the Unfriended movies, and even more so by one of my favorite movies of 2020, host. We will talk with director Rob Savage and his co-writers Gemma Hurley and Jed Shepard right after this. New listeners to the podcast may not realize that we are now in our fifth season of Postmortem and quickly approaching our 100th interview. You should know that every one of them is available for free on demand on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcast app. Yes, you've probably listened to our conversations with people like Stephen King, David Cronenberg, Guillermo del Toro, John Carpenter, and Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. But you might have missed some of our most interesting conversations with people who may not be household names. I do this show because I love finding out about how creators create, who they are, what inspired them, how they fulfill their visions, and I learn something from every single one of them. Each of our shows has fascinated me, and I've discovered new visions and films and filmmakers throughout the run of the show. Like I've said, check them out on your favorite podcast app. All of our guests have inspired me, and maybe they will do the same for you. So guys, um, 
How did this triumvirate come together? It seems like it's not just a filmmaker and a recruited writer and a cre recruited crew, but it was this, it, it seems like Astron Six, where there's a triumvirate instead of a sixumvirate, uh, putting together this project. What, what were the roots of your collaboration? I mean, me and Jed have been working together for, for a few years. We've done some short films and we've been, we've been developing a lot of stuff um, before host that, that didn't get kind of announced until afterwards. But, um, you know, we were flying kind of a little under the radar. And, um, you know, when, when we started to kind of think about doing a movie on Zoom during, during the lockdown, um, Jed was the first person I called and we kind of threw around some ideas. But, but what we've been doing in the development of our other projects is me and Jed have been coming up with the ideas, which, which mostly involves us just going to the pub and think, you know, talking about the kind of movies that we'd want to see that don't exist right now. Um, and then we kind of scribble down a little treatment and we bring on another writer to work with. Um, so we wanted to do something similar on this. And I'd read, uh, I'd read a really great, really fucked up script that Gemma had written um, about a year ago. And we'd met just once beforehand. Mm -hmm. And immediately, I don't know why, I just thought of, um, I just thought Gemma would be, would be perfect for this and that she'd be, she'd be really up for it. And fucked up is always good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice to be thought of as the fucked up person to get on the screen. Well, I just remember that like, the, the, I mean, the whole script, the whole script is great, but there's one scene that actually made me wince. Like, I kind of like mm. vocalized and went, when I read it, which is very rare. So, um, so that's, that stuck in my mind and, and, you know, and, and luckily Gemma was, in between two different writers' rooms, and had you know had a couple of weeks to come and to come and work on this with us, and and you know, and then it was really just about finding that dynamic. But we, it really clicked into place quite quickly. I mean, me and Jed already had it, and you know, we were a little we'd ne we'd never kind of written something like this before, which was mostly done off a beat sheet, and it was you know there was never going to be a conventional script, and we we kind of were figuring it out as we went along. But um, but I think we we clicked quite quickly and got into quite a nice groove. That's great. Well, Jed, what was the structure? How how did the script take place? Because I can't imagine a hundred page screenplay that you just <laughs> turn the pages just by the very nature of how this is structured in piecemeal form. Yeah, I think um, before we brought it to Gemma, myself and Rob, we essentially wrote a list of ways to kill our friends and we um, on film and we kind of married it to the features of Zoom. So we went on, on the Zoom's website and said, OK, you can change backgrounds, you can do stuff with, with muting and etc. And we kind of married that up and we just thought of all the cool stuff from, from a lifetime of watching horror movies, just cool ways to kind of kill our friends and, and our favourite scares as well, ways we can kind of uh, subvert audience expectations. And then the, the, the thing with this particular film is because we made it with our friends, we know these girls so well. It was always it was always going to be filled full of our own prejudices and, and personal friendships. So it was really great that Gemma is involved because she brought an outside perspective that was really needed for this to make it as good as it can be. Um, well, one of the most impressive things about it is the quality of the writing and the quality of the acting. When something is made for the computer screen, you assume it's because the filmmakers don't have much money and don't have access to real movie making, uh, which, you know, was behind most of the found footage movies, most of which, you know, the only thing uh, I'm less excited about seeing than a found footage movie is a found footage zombie movie. <laughs> Other than one cut of the dead, which I think is genius. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. but um, this 
not only is specifically on a computer screen, but it's dealing with something we're dealing with right now, this pandemic. And so it had to be produced under those circumstances as well, where you're not all together in a room and interacting. So how did that, Rob, I think that's a question for you. How did you yeah. stage and the complications of that? Well, I mean, it was interesting because because this was this was my main worry is that is promising something to Shudder that, that we wouldn't be able to deliver on. I had no idea if if these things would be able to come together. And um, you know, initially initially when we took it to Shudder, like Jed said, we kind of the pitch was basically a bunch of friends do a Zoom seance. Something happens, it'll be great, it'll be scary. Trust us. And you know, and and to Shudder's credit, they totally kind of. They totally left us alone and, and left us to our own devices to figure it out as we went along. You know, my worry, my worries was that we wouldn't be able to get to to the length that we wanted, and we wouldn't be able to. It would just be a bit, be a bit grating. And 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 you know, I, th I think that the, the number one thing I always think of is like when you're making a, mon a, a movie for no money, the audience really doesn't care about that. They just want to be taken on a ride. And and I just wanted to make sure. Things about the genre. Yeah, I, what I didn't want. Yeah, absolutely. What I didn't want is for this to be a kind of curio that people would say, oh, well, the story behind the making of it is really interesting. Shame about the film. You know, I really, <laughs> I really wanted people to go in with, you know, probably understandably a low expectation. I mean, on paper, it sounds like a really shitty idea to make a film on Zoom uh, during the lockdown. So I wanted people to go in. Um, and then, I, you know, I wanted to kind of blow them out of the water with the things we were able to pull off, the stunts, the level of performance, the kind of the humor. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of that's really testament to the cast. We knew, you know, me and Jed knew them beforehand. Uh, they were the first people that we that we got involved. And I knew that they were really charismatic and fun and they had their own energy and they're really friends. So that was, you know, that was a real help. But, um, you know, our, our treatment ended up being 17, 17, 17 pages. Yeah. And, you know, and there it's was a, there's a, totally. And there's, but there's, there was a. There's a reality of this film where, you know, on day one, I could have turned up with this, you know, scene one, the friends greet each other. And just the, and that magic just, you know, maybe, maybe that magic didn't materialize. And then we would, we'd be in a very different situation. But it's really down to the girls and the chemistry they have. That, um, well, it's quite remarkable to for me that it's a genuinely scary movie that all within the confines of computer screen. And as far as the writing goes, Gemma, uh, how much of this was improvisational? Was it basically just that 17-page treatment, or was it more scripted than that? Well, this is the thing, because none of us can really take credit for the witty, uh, really authentic banter that came out of the cast smells. Like, they are genuinely, like, you know, I couldn't even write the how, how funny some of those witty lines were. And, you know, that's all down to them. But yeah, I mean, as, as Rob said, you know, we had two weeks, we did this 17 page uh, beat sheet. And really for us, our task in those two weeks, whether, you know, we were going to be successful or not, was to create a story and a framework and relationships for them all to just be able to know where they stood with each other and the hierarchy of that friendship group and trying to figure out what those those tensions we could mind because, you know, it wasn't, you know, it's not a COVID film. It's, it's, it's a film about, you know, people being disconnected in isolation. And for us, it was like, what does that mean? You know, it, it's one of those very strange things. We were all experiencing that at that moment. That was our lives on the screen, right? We were having Zoom calls with our, our, most of your family, our friends, and it, all of us were taking, you know, um, things we'd experienced in trying to find a way to put that into the story. Like, for instance, um, 
originally like Rodina's um, story with her boyfriends, that was like, we all know someone who's moved into very quickly during lockdown. It was like, let, you know, this is, we can show that relationship on screen um, or just uh, there's something about Zoom. Like maybe it's just me, but there's a sort of, um, maybe it's a magnifying glass for, maybe tension in relationships because only one person can speak at one time. Um, you have to be uh, respectful to everybody, you know, let people have their say. And that was quite a useful way to really just quickly find tension with these, these, this group of uh, female friends and really like dive into that dynamic of what might have been there before the, uh, the pandemic came along. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah. It was all we really had to do was come up with this framework and the actresses just, you know, blew us all away. Well, I'd love to find out about all of your backgrounds. I mean, Gemma, were you, as a child, were you interested in the scary, the outre, that sort of thing? Not like these guys. Oh my God. Uh, I think, I mean, I, I just had a crazy imagination where I, you know, one of those kids who was like, there was definitely a monster in my cupboard. There was definitely a monster on the landing, like, you know, everywhere. Um, I think the first thing I saw that really freaked freaked me out was um probably the x-files seeing that a bit too young and believing there was like the mothman character with the red eyes like living on my upstairs landing in the dark um <laughs> just really kind of got under my skin and um but yeah no that was probably my first bit of horror i'm not like super super hardcore fans like these guys i'm more of a genre tv writer yeah yeah. Uh, well, Jed, what about you? I mean, you seem to live and breathe it uh, from your podcast. I get the feeling that this is something that has you were maybe born with. Yeah, it, it's all I really care about to be to be honest. Horror <laughs> movies, um, but it, it kind Don't of admit that on the show. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of started from I, I'm half Filipino, and I don't know if you if you know many Filipino people, but they believe monsters are real. They believe in ghosts. My mum taught me that monsters were real. When I was like five or six years old, she told me she saw a werewolf, not in the Philippines, in London next to our house. Wow. Um, a Filipino and, werewolf in London. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That great movie. Great movie. Shudder. Um, but so I, I kind of grew up to believe it. And she's, she's filled me full of these stories growing up of monsters are real. Jed, be careful when you go out because you're going to get got by this Aswang, the Filipino monster and this and that. And that kind of just made me go into the horror film so I can kind of learn about these monsters, read all the books about monsters, because if they're a real threat to my life, I'm going to read about them, I'm going to learn them and beat about them and, and beat them at their own game. So I feel like this is all research for, for the ultimate thing where I have to fight these monsters um, who are coming from my family. Well, tell me yeah. a little more about these legends that you were brought up with that came oh, from okay. the background. Yeah. <laughs> so, so besides that wealth one, so this is quite... In the last five years, this this is a true story. My mum and my sister was in Manila in this very Americanized mall, and they went into a um, into into a changing room um, in in a clothes shop, and there was only one changing room available. And they watched a woman go in and close the door. They waited twenty minutes for that woman to come out. She never came out. So my sister asked the woman in the shop, "Hey, I think someone's fainted in in the changing room because the, she she hasn't come out yet." And they looked over and the woman had gone. And my sister and my mom was like, where has she gone? And the woman in the shop, and this is Manila, it's basically like a, like a very westernized um, city. The woman said, the man must have come through the mirror to take her. They, they take girls sometimes. And my mom was like, oh, okay, fine. And my sister was like, what, what? 
and then and then not only that so and then they explained to my sister who's very skeptical like i am uh well it's a man who's half snake half man he steals women sometimes he like like gets with them sometimes he eats them like and everyone seems to be cool with this and <laughs> and my sister and my sister said to the woman how is he half snake and my mum interrupted and said maybe his mum's the snake that, that, <laughs> oh that's, that explains it yeah that's what i've had to put up with my entire life this kind of blurring between facts and fiction and and, and monsters and reality um and which is makes me kind of a a good person to be involved with horror films yeah. because they're almost documentaries to me. <laughs> <laughs> I should say. Rob, do you remember the first genre movie that excited you and made you want to move into that field? I think it was probably Evil Dead 2. I don't know. I mean, I kind of had, I had a bit of a thing, like my parents are kind of hippy dippy vegans and they tried, they tried and failed to raise me without TV. Yeah, yeah. So I, so I was raised without any screens in the house. And then one day I got, I got hold of like a little kind of black and white portable TV uh, that, I, that I hid under my bed. So every time my parents went to sleep, I'd kind of get this out, I'd plug in a VCR that I got from like a yard sale. And I'd just watch the most, the most horrendous, violent, scary horror movies I could because that was, you know, it was what my parents were trying to protect me from. So it was all I wanted to watch. So I was watching. You know, How old were you when that started? Oh, this must have been at like 12, 13. Um, so, you know, so I was, I was, I was watching all the, you know, you know, that they, they had the kind of list of video nasties that were banned here through, you know, in the eighties through the nineties. And like, that was basically my tick list. I was going through and I was <laughs> dead and I was doing Animal Holocaust and, um, oh God. it was like, it was really, it was Evil Dead 2 that I remember watching it and just being so conscious of what the camera was doing and how that was working in relation to the actors and the blocking. And it was the first movie where it really clicked to me that there was somebody behind the camera kind of deciding what you were seeing, what you weren't seeing, how close you were to a character, um, you know, and that just that just kind of got me fired up, and 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 it was, it was kind of my kind of love of of horror movies and my love of world cinema kind of grew in in tandem because after that I became kind of this insufferable art house kid, and I just watch, yeah. you know, I, I got into Tarkovsky and Bergman and Kislovsky as much as as much as I was into Sam Raimi and, and Lucio Fulci and all those guys. I kind of didn't didn't differentiate, but I really just tried throughout my teenage years just to watch, watch, watch anything I could. I'd kind of set myself tasks. I could do a week of just German expressionism and I'd watch that. Mm -hmm. And then I'd do, you know, Italian neorealism. And then, and then I'd do, you know, Argento was a big one for me. And I just kind of, I just kind of um, dip in and out. And I think that's kind of, that's kind of where me and Jed really clicked is like, I, like I love all the same movies that Jed loves, but I've definitely got more of a kind of art house leaning. And I think Jed has more of a kind of eighties gooey, uh, and, and I think we kind of meet in we kind of meet Mick Garrett's movies yeah. and, then, yeah. <laughs> and then I think we kind of meet in the middle quite well and then I think the thing that the thing that I mean Jet, like as I've said Gemma's got a fucked up mind as well but I think the thing that Gemma really free, Gemma comes in and is like yeah but don't forget about story don't forget about character and I think you know it, it's it's there in 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 our minds when we're coming up with stuff, but me and Jed get very excited by by how to kill people and uh, Gemma. I, Gemma I like to keep them yeah, alive. But you've got to you've got to care <laughs> yeah. about them before you kill them, and, and that's why. I think no, that's all about the survivors. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, but that, you know, horror is so much more horrifying if you can identify with mm -hmm. real human beings, real characters that you can be empathetic with, that you imagine yourself in their place and you take that journey with them from beginning to end. That's why the, the scares are so successful in this, regardless of the device upon which you watch them. Mm -hmm. uh, and and it's a real testament to why this movie works so well is the veracity of these people yeah that i mean that was super important to us but you know the the breadth of your cinema education um rob is reflected by you've also directed britannia which is kind mm -hmm. of as far removed yeah from from host as possible tell me about how that came about and your experience with that I mean, that was an interesting one. Cause, I mean, the, basically the way that I started out in film at all, like when I was 17, I made the host is technically, I mean, I sort of technically my second feature because like 10 years before host, I made this feature film called Strings when I was 17 years old, which basically just came out of my own naivety because I didn't really know that short films were a thing. I grew up in the, I, like my family are all farmers and I grew up in the middle of nowhere and um, I got my hands on a camera and I was like, right, let's make a 90 minute movie. So I had three grand bunch of friends helping out um, a couple of actors and we made this movie which was very very art house uh, I mean mm -hmm. it'd be a total shock to anyone who watched it who watched the rest of the stuff that I'd made but it, it, you know it's very much a kind of the movie that a seven a pretentious 17 year old would make but it was I kind of got all my art house out in in one go but interestingly like that movie um, that movie got got picked up for, for cinema distribution over here by a company called vertigo films who then made this big move into into television um and i was really like kind of um about five years ago i'd made a bunch of shorts that had done well you know I'd, we'd, we'd played sundance we'd we'd got a bit of a buzz going and we we're developing a few things but i was really struggling to just take to take that next step either to get a feature made or to break into tv because there's this kind of catch-22 with everything where you know unless you've done an hour of television it's very hard to get an hour of television so um i was you know, I was really, I was really struggling to, to break in and frankly, to, to pay the bills, you know, and, um, and then I got a call from, from James Richardson who runs Vertigo Films. Uh, and, and, you know, and he, he'd been doing, he'd finished, just finished on the first season of Britannia and we'd enjoyed working together on strings when he, when he'd bought that for distribution. And he vouched for me to come on and do this big multi-million pound um, Roman epic uh, just because he had a feeling that I'd probably do something interesting with it. I think they wanted to kind of turn up, dial up the crazy on series two, do something a bit more psychedelic and a bit more apocalypse now. And we'd... Um, Calling we'd, Rob Savage. Yeah, yeah well, we, we'd, we'd, really, we'd really got on because we both, there's this movie Come and See, which we both absolutely adore, um, Russian war movie. And, and he said he wanted just a bit more Come and See in this new series. So I immediately clicked with that. And, um, and it's fun as well. I mean, that's why TV is fun because you get to do, it doesn't have to be part of your canon i mean i'm not i don't really care about that stuff anyway but it's not it, it's it just doesn't feel like like something of mine it's something that i've kind of come on to and, and and worked on and been part of a part of a team but it's very fun to come and play with roman soldiers for you know for six months and do big well the idea of yeah the idea of director for hire i wasn't really interested in doing that for the first half of my career mm. then once i started doing episodics occasionally it was fantastic to be able to have access of all the most up-to-date equipment, all of the technology, yeah. all these great actors. You're telling stories in the same way that you normally do, but in a different world. I mean, when I did Once Upon a Time, 
Mm. I never imagined myself doing Disney storybook characters. And I did some of the work that I'm, I had the most fun with. And, and some of the most emotional stuff I ever did was mm. in one of those. Episodes. And, and then you're in and you're out after three weeks. Yeah. And it's, but you've taken on, you've taken on lessons that are invaluable. I mean, I learned stuff just, you know, working on a TV schedule with, with actors of that caliber on Britannia, I learned so much about blocking specifically that I've really taken on and being able to turn up and you've got two hours to shoot, you know, three page dialogue scene and how do you keep the blocking interesting and how do you cover it in a moving master and all these kind of things that, um, you know, you, you get put through the ringer on TV, but I think you always come out a better director on the other side. Well, Gemma, what are the movies that and television that inspired you to want to be a writer and to get into that business? Gemma loves Psycho. Do you want to talk talk about that? <laughs> uh, it's embarrassing. I've never seen Psycho. It made me a terrible human being. Um, you should be embarrassed. We, we've seen a lot of horror movies. Gemma's way to watch before host as well. Yeah, they, they have. And I've been going, to, I feel like I've got like this back catalogue of things I'm slowly making my way through. I'm very proud of myself. Psycho is still on the list. We'll get there. Um, but this is my embarrassment. Like I, my dream was always to write a Pixar film. I love, I just want to write for Disney and Pixar. And the first, like my first credit is like this horror film, which is like, to be fair, very fun. I think it's got a lot of levity and comedy and humour, which, you know, is one of my favourite things about the film as well. Um, but yeah, like I just honestly, like I always just wanted to write The Lion King um, and maybe I don't know what's happened. <laughs> Are those the movies that influenced you the most that made you? Oh my you God. To... Yeah. And you know, it's embarrassing. I'm doing a, I'm doing a, a TV show for Amazon at the moment. I'm um, one of the writers and all of my references are like, oh yeah, this thing in The Lion King or like this Disney <laughs> film. And I just sound like it's such a twat um yeah i mean that that's my that's my happy space to be honest um, well that's kind of what happened to me you know i got my start as a writer from steven spielberg on amazing stories which led to me writing batteries not included and hocus pocus and you know very family kinds of things that had a shadow over them um and then along came the stephen king experience and that kind of totally changed the direction of of where my career headed um so jed what about you what were the things that were your launching points um i mean i think it was quite similar to robert um with evil dead 2 evil dead 2 was the first movie i saw which i thought oh someone has made a movie for my exact mentalities you have the, the <laughs> horror you have the kind of the action you have the comedy as well it just felt like I, I didn't know films like this existed so once i knew films like this existed i was like okay who was behind this who made this and then you go down a sam raimi hole where you watch all of his other films as well and you're like wow this this guy's incredible if he if he gets to make movies he wants maybe one day i'll make like a movie that i want um and and yeah i think it's just inspirational like sam raimi specifically and that's why it's when me and rob we're getting to work with him at the moment it's it's a it's literally a dream come true for both of us and i don't know how it is for you robert when i'm on a zoom call with him it's and, and he's given us advice he's just it's like nectar from the from the gods it's like of course <laughs> yeah like and when he's like twisting our story ideas and like um saying maybe maybe this will work it's it's such invaluable information and as a kid i would never have imagined to be getting it direct from the horse's mouth um well, tell me a little bit about what this movie is you're doing with uh, Sam Raimi and Rob Tappert. Yeah. Um, uh, Rob 
Do you want to take over? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 another kind of um, supernatural movie. It's kind of touches weirdly on similar things, similar things to Host, just in a very a very different way. It's um, it's based actually on a real bit of folklore that me and Jed discovered and and just immediately, it, you know, it's one of those ideas where. Uh, as soon as we as soon as we thought of it, we had to immediately Google just to make sure nobody else had made a movie of it because it you know short, it was one of these ideas where it's like surely this is on the tip of everyone else's tongue and somebody's going to do it. So we wrote up something as fast as we could, and it was the first time that I was flying to LA to do the water bottle tour, and I kind of like I sent it sent it to my manager and I was like, can we do anything with this? And he was like, oh, this is perfect for Sam Raimi, and he managed to get me in a room with Sam. So literally. The second day in LA, just totally like starry-eyed, I had to go and do this like forty-five minute pitch straight to Sam, which was the most in- intense, nerve-wracking thing I've ever had to do. Um, but he's such a kind yeah, of yeah, Sam is one of the nicest guys in the world. Exactly. You could no, you go in and within within five minutes, it was great. And he, you could, you could, he's a really kind of active listener, and you can see the kind of um, uh, neurons firing in his head, and he'll throw in ideas and. Um, no, and he, you know, and he, and he, he, um, he said he wanted to do it right there in the room, and we started working on it. And, um, and Rob, am I right in saying it's the first time he's ever said yes in the room before? I'm sure he says. I'm, sh- I'm, sh- I'm sure that's what they said. I'm sure they say that to everyone. But, yeah, they say um, to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it, you know, and it's and it's really, um, it's kind of our version of a, of a Sam Raimi movie. Like it's really, it's really kind of. Um, it's got a, a really strong vein of black comedy through it. It's really, it's really fun. It's a roller coaster. It's the kind of, we want it, we want it to be a kind of tight 90 minute Friday night horror movie that you can go and watch and just have a really great time with. And um, it's a real yeah. audience pleaser. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, so, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully that'll be next year. Fingers crossed. If, in terms of filmmaking cinematically, it's going to be cinematic. And if it's inspired by yes. the work of Sam Raimi, the visuals, Will be kind of the opposite of your lockdown computer screen Zoom movies. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. It's kind of um, yeah. It'd be interesting to get back to get back into that into that mode and have all the toys again, like you were saying. It's um, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I feel like host host was a really was really what I needed at that. Just just create it creatively. I was in a real rut at the start of the year. I'd been doing a lot of television, and I was feeling not very. I wasn't in a great place creatively. Like I just didn't, I, I, I was kind of doing everything that I thought I wanted to do. I was, you know, I was a kind of jobbing TV director and I was working consistently, but I just wasn't feeling very creative anymore. And host was so um, kind of antithetical to that, uh, but so much, but so much fun. And I loved kind of that DIY approach and just being able to, being able to spend most of the time just working with the actors. I mean, that was the most fun to me and because we had, um, we were working off a beat sheet and it was, it was, a, there, was it, there was such a kind of sense of discovery every day working with the actors that I think what, what's going to be fun for me when I start working on, you know, something like hopefully this, this, this project with Sam, um, you know, and get back to that scale is taking that approach, that kind of actor led approach and, and kind of marrying it with with the visual flair that you know we want that film to have, and I think what what I love about Host is the soul that the, that the actors bring to it, and I just I think if we can if we can pitch that just right with the Sam Raimi one, it could be something really special. Well, you were a working director doing television, being busy, but suddenly you made this DIY movie for very little money and very few resources, but 
it hit in such a way that everyone who's seen it is impressed by it and it has changed the course of your career. Can you talk a little bit about how that, how that happened and when, when there was that first audience that you felt like, wow, we've done something that connects. God, I don't know about you guys, but I like, I, it's, it's all been, it's all been it's such 20 a 20 years ago. A, it's hard to it remember. It really was 20 years ago. <laughs> and it's also, and it's, and it's all been, it's all been like this. It's all been remote or via Twitter. So it all kind of like the timeline, it kind of compresses like jelly. Um, but I don't know. Cause I had, I had a really weird, um, I had a really weird moment in the ho hotel because I only just got I only just got back to London um, uh, late yesterday, and I was just coming up in the elevator in the hotel because we've we've literally just wrapped our first Blumhouse movie, uh, the, the the deal that we got off the back of this for, with with Blumhouse, um, and it just 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 hit me that hit me that we 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 made one movie and we were allowed to say this is the movie we want to make next and get to make it all within a year. It's so it's so surreal. Um, if I'd have looked back on this, you know, if I'd have, if I'd have looked on this uh, six months ago, um, so it's it's been it, we, like we've we've moved so fast on this next movie that it's hard to have that perspective. But I really had a kind of out of body experience early today, earlier today, and um, it's that. Well, I mean, it was yeah. only it was only ten months ago that the uh, virus became known. So all of this activity has happened in under ten months. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for me, it none of it feels re real, e even now. We we only delivered the film to Shutter two days before the the deadline, and wow. um, and we made this in twelve weeks, by the way, all, all together in twelve weeks from inception to handing it into Shutter. So Shutter didn't really know what they had. We didn't know really what we had. Uh, we didn't have a trailer. We didn't have a poster. It, it went right under the radar and it was released. And it's truly word of mouth and just the interactions between the cast and us guys on Twitter that I feel like organically grew the film. There was no money for a big marketing campaign. There was, there was nothing. And I think people watching the organic growth of it made it, first of all, interested, but made them curious to see what this is all about. And I think what's helped host become what Forbes magazine called the phenomenon of 2020. It, it's, it's the... Indisputable. <laughs> Indisputable. Something like that. It, it, it's, it's just the, the kind of organic word of mouth. And we captured something, we captured the zeitgeist without really trying to. We were just making a movie for ourselves and for our friends to watch. And, um, and that's why there's so many kind of in-jokes in it and like little Easter eggs here and there. And, um, and the fact that we use it, just used our friends it's 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 a strange feel because we, we can't compare it to anything that's come before because there hasn't really been anything like this before. Even even things like the Blair Witch Project and uh, Paranormal Activity, there was an advance warning about that. With, with this, there was nothing. Also, yeah, it, it, yeah, go ahead, Gemma. I was just going to say also like when when else in history has a film had a chance to capture like there's like the the very stressful zeitgeist of the global psyche at that like particular moment and come out you know in 12 weeks I, I can't I can't think of another film that has had that opportunity um and also like the I mean I don't want to talk too much about the distribution but I, don't, I can't think of another film that has started in this really like niche part of the internet on like Shudder and then has kind of gone bigger and bigger in terms of its distribution, like going to different, like going from, from Shudder to cinema in the UK and then going to America. And I think it's going to Japan, like in January it's almost, yeah, and stuff. across Europe, isn't it? It's like an opposite sure. way round. It's really strange. Yeah. 
Well, especially coming out at a time when in the U.S. almost no cinemas are open. Mm. And this is a movie that deserves to be seen on the big screen, even though you can watch it on your computer or your iPad or whatever, and it feels just as real, if not more so, mm. even more intimate. But, but were you able to see it in a cinema with people? Yeah, we did. Um, we did. Uh, we did a couple of special special screenings at the the, the BFI, which is one of our favourite cinemas in the when Prince I Charles. When I met Jed. Yeah, because yeah. they hadn't they hadn't met um, until what a the couple screening. of months, a month or so after the after the film was released. It's very strange. Yeah, we'd made this thing that's kind of taken over the world, and we hadn't even met before. Very strange. Um, but yeah, like Rob said, we, we we got to see it on the big screen quite quite a few times, and for Halloween, um, the the uh, UK distributor put it into into UK cinemas. It was like over a hundred cinemas in the UK, which, which was crazy. Um, so you're responsible for the spread of COVID yeah. throughout. Well, yeah, sorry, so, so be honest, my, it's, my it's, bad. It's us, it's, us and, it's us and Hocus Pocus, Mick. It's us and Hocus Pocus, <laughs> which was number one in the US box office at the time as well. So we're both yeah. to blame. <laughs> <laughs> 27 years after the fact, right? <laughs> yeah. 27 years, wow. Are you serious? I mean, it's, it's thing, wow. Oh, sorry, oh, sorry Gemma, no, actually. No, no, I was just, I couldn't believe it had been that long. Well, yeah. The thing I find so interesting about having, because we, 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 we put out the film and I, you know, I kind of, because these guys didn't, you guys didn't see it until two days before it released as well, cause, because mm -hmm. we're, or a couple, a few days, a few days before we're it went rough. out. Maybe. We saw a rough cut, like maybe three or four days before before Something we delivered. Like that, yeah. But it was, it was, it was just this really intense post process where where we were cutting and recutting and, and um, just rushing rushing to the finish line. And then we put it out. And the thing that the thing that really surprised me is that people found it so scary. I knew that it was fun. I knew that it was funny, and I knew that the cast were really warm, and you know that people would respond to them. But um, but I kind of didn't think we'd made a very scary movie. I thought I we'd made a movie. I thought we'd made a movie that was that was that was fun and had a good pace to it. But I think what's really interesting is because people were watching it in that lockdown, you know, in, in, in lockdown in the same situation as the characters on their computers where they where they spend the rest of the, the day zooming. It had a very specific it's a very specific experience watching it at home, watching it in isolation. And I think it's like a totally different experience watching it in a cinema with an audience. I think it's I think it's much more of a fun roller coaster ride, like because because you're you're there shoulder to sh well not shoulder to shoulder, <laughs> <laughs> a responsible a responsible distance away from people, but but um, a scare happens and then everyone everyone screams and then everyone laughs and there's that release of tension and it's it's a it's a much different experience and I think it's it's equally fun but it's 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 not really that scary in a cinema it's more like a kind of yeah a ghost house ride or something. I think you've actually crystallised it for the first time in my mind. What it actually is. At home, it's scary, and in the cinema, it's it's a fun communal experience, like going to church and experiencing this crazy <laughs> thing. <laughs> but it's it's also because in the cinema, it feels like we're out of the we're out of the danger, we're out of lockdown. You know, we're, well, we sort of, but it feels like it's over. But it, with England, I don't know, obviously, I don't know what it's like over there, but we're it kind of in and out and in and out. So we're, we're kind of in this. I mean, we're not going to obviously. Talk about, yeah, we're not going to talk about the next film, but it, you know, it, it's all. That kind of tension is there when you're alone in your house of course and i, I feel like that's we, we wanted to capture that but i think also if you guys remember like one of one of the first conversations we had was what do we want this film to feel like when you see it mm. like how do i want to feel when i see a horror film right now during like a covid lockdown like i want to i don't want to feel claustrophobic i don't want to feel 
um, like I'm trapped necessarily. I want to have a bit of like a, a roller coaster, right? a bit of fun. And I think that was really just part of like right from the get go. I think that was part of the mm. identity of this. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because it's kind of contrary to what the philosophy would be. The shared experience of horror and comedy is always amplified in a theater where everybody's jumping and screaming and laughing. But here you're doing it entirely in a solitary sense. And that seems to really wreak havoc with what the the presumption would be. Well, mm. you, you say it's a solitary experience, but because you're on Zoom, it feels like you're on the Zoom call with the girls. So yeah. it feels like a communal experience while you're watching at home too. So you can go go both ways. That's the whole, I mean, that's the kind of, that's the thing that we really wanted to tap into. I mean, when we were having our kind of initial discussions, you know, we, we the, the fear we wanted to tap into is this idea of, of um, you know, social, um, whatever you call this video, video conferencing. It feels like, it feels like you're together. You have a, a sense of togetherness that can be shattered in a moment. If your internet cuts out and you're suddenly sitting there with just the sound of the ticking clock in your room, you're mm -hmm. very aware of your isolation. And we wanted to kind of pull that trick on the audience to make them feel like they just entered into a party with their friends. Um, you know, and it was happy hour. And then at that moment where all the characters stop laughing and they start, um, just becoming, witnesses to the to each other's demise like that's a really um i don't know that we really wanted to get that kind of twist in the stomach from the, uh, it's a bit like the ring you know like at the end of the ring where it's like you feel like you've been infected by the film mm. a little bit like you're part of it it's somehow like leave it's left something with you and i think obviously in a you know pandemic kind of era that definitely was something i think we kind of wanted to put into the identity of this film like maybe if you watch that you're part of the group could you be like infected by this like ghost as well perhaps a little bit uh, well yeah, you are part of the seance so yeah. you are infected yeah. well, one of our one of our big references um that we all watched initially was ghost watch hmm. you know the 1993 yeah. tv movie and oh. and me and jed have always show, right yeah oh god it, it, i for me that's the best fan footage movie ever made and uh, certainly the best british one ever yeah mm. um and, and, and it goes as, is, oh sorry go on no no like, it, it goes as far as we because me and rob have always said to each other we're going to make the new me and you we're going to make the next ghost watch we're going to make the next ghost watch our next project will be the new ghost watch so it was it was really cool when the uh creator and writer of ghost watch stephen volk came out and said this is the new ghost watch he watched loves host this is the new ghost watch and that probably meant more to me than anything um maybe even more than like your, your friend stephen kingwick uh yeah. <laughs> yeah, well high praise and stephen is a is a wonderful guy and a great writer and uh and i love his work and i do find it comparable to to what he did with ghost watch mm -hmm. and, and but it's also groundbreaking yes there had been computer screen cinema before but not in the middle of a pandemic shot under these circumstances that you're portraying on the screen at the time everybody's in a different place tell me about the preparation process not just the casting but how you went about doing it and and how you would do it you know it looks like it takes place over the 90 minutes that we're watching it but obviously it was shot you say over a two-week period tell me the the technical process of bringing that together and and the uh, casting process and all well the casting casting process was simple because it basically it all came about um because of a, a prank that I played on everyone, um, we, you know, because 
basically almost everyone involved in the film um we've worked together before uh we we hang out with each other as soon as the pandemic hit we started zooming with each other and it's basically everyone you would need to make a movie we you know we we go on these zoom happy hours with our vfx supervisor and the cast and um you know and our producer doug and we we just hang out and um before before the pandemic i just moved into this new this new apartment um and I looked in all the rooms except for the attic. I didn't have a ladder to get in the attic. And I started hearing these like dragging footstep sounds above my above my room in the middle of the night. I'd wake up and I'd hear them. And um, and I, you know, and I'm like the idiot in every horror movie. I didn't bother going to check. And I told these guys about it. So I'd been seeding it for months that there was maybe somebody living in my attic. And then Rob, suddenly... you forgot the you forgot the bit where I was over once, and oh, there fuck, was yeah. I was over once, and and Rob was like, "Did you put that there?" And I put what there? And there was a a, a used chocolate wrapper on the floor underneath his attic, underneath his attic. Yeah. That he where? And again, I'm from? a hippy dippy vegan, so I don't have like any anything like that. Um, but but it's, you know, so so but lockdown happened, and I had to go and check it out, obviously. So I went up there, and there wasn't there wasn't a creature up there, but it did look really scary, and it made me think. Of the scene, um, the scene in Wreck, the Spanish movie, um, oh, where where they they put the camera up and the zombie child jumps out and it's like, oh, maybe I can do something with this. So I, I kind of built this rig out of cardboard and toilet tubes um, that allowed me to like take my phone and slot it right in front of my laptop so that my laptop screen was the only thing you could see. Um, and then I jumped on, I jumped on the next Zoom call with these guys on my phone and did a bit of kind of shoddy sleight of hand. And was like, okay, I'm gonna go and check check this noise in my attic once and for all, guys. I just need you here for emotional support. And I slotted my phone in front of the screen and played them the scene from Wreck. So they thought for a moment that I, this zombie child had jumped out at me and eaten my face <laughs> off. Um, and so I, so and you know, it was just me trying to stave off boredom. And I cut this together and I put it online, and it ended up going kind of ended up go, going viral and getting millions of views. And and wow. all of all of pretty much all of the cast of Host are in that initial video. So it was really um, and me and me Ed's in it and <laughs> yeah and, and and Steve our VFX supervisor and Alexi our costume person so it was like it was really our shared thing we you know and we I all said to thought, Rob beforehand none of our friends will fall for this 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 trick is they're not going to fall for it they intelligent people and uh, unfortunately really not. they did fall for it everyone <laughs> did but it, but, it, but but it's but it, it's the lovely thing about this whole thing is that you know that it was um, even that. It was a share, it was a thing that we were all sharing in. We were all really excited to see to see people sharing this little stupid prank video around. And um, and as soon as we started getting interest in a longer a longer version, it really was as simple as jumping on the next um, Zoom happy hour with those guys and being like, "Do you want to make a movie?" There wasn't really a casting process. And they say no, <laughs> like please. They don't said they said we do don't want to ever get on Zoom with you again. But, um, yeah, after, it's a real struggle. <laughs> But it's been, it's been the same the actual construction of it and how it was put together over those two weeks. How was it laid out? How did you schedule it? How did you program? You know, who was shooting when and where? And yeah. was there interaction going on on two different places at the same time during Zoom while was, you recorded? Yeah, it was interesting because of because we got such great reactions. Um, you, I, I got such great scare reactions from from this prank video. I wanted to kind of keep a bit of that prank video aesthetic in the movie. So me and the producer, Douglas Cox, we kind of scheduled it out and we were like, okay, what we should do is we should hide things from, from the cast. And me, Jed and Gemma kind of worked out the script so we could, we could pull out a lot of the individual scare scenes and only share them with the actors involved. 
So a lot of the cast only knew what, what was going to happen to their own characters, you know, a bit like a kind of um, a shoddy version of a Mike Lee thing where, you know, you only know what's happening to your character. And um, so me and, me and Douglas, the producer, we scheduled it so that we kind of oddly, we kind of front loaded the shoot with all of our huge stunts, setting people on fire, dragging people in the air, um, you know, all of our big effects shots up front in the first, in the first two days. So we did two days of really intense um, stunt work. Then we cut that together, um, cut that together, added sound effects, made them really scary, and then started shooting. Then, then me and Doug started shooting with the girls every day, uh, just going through chronologically. Um, and then when we arrived at those scenes that were red acted for the girls, we'd, we'd pump in this footage that we'd already recorded, sometimes without them even knowing, and they'd react in real time to these scares. And we'd get these reactions that, that, um, that you never could have fabricated. Uh, you know, a lot of those initial scary actions, that's that's really take one of them seeing, I don't know, one of their friends burn alive or or something fly across the room. These things, Because, you know, like everyone, they they had set their expectations quite low as to what we might be able to achieve in lockdown. And I think when we showed them some of those stunts, it really freaked them out. Um, <laughs> and in terms of... So the, when, you oh, were, sorry, when you were shooting, did you have them all on the screen at the same time when they were there? Yeah. Or shoot their pieces separately or you wanted that interaction we wanted that interaction and what we what we did is um uh it was it was the the cast me and douglas cox the producer who was kind of making scene notes as we were because we were kind of like just making it up as we went along and he was making notes for the editor as we were shooting and just also doing a million other things and um it was like it was initially we we, we kind of imagined that we would just press you know do what we're doing now press screen record on a Zoom call, which, which is how I did the prank, and that that would be fine. And then, you know, and then I found myself like waking up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, being like, "But what if we this stunt that we're paying half the budget for? What if the internet cuts out? We definitely can't do that." So, so we we came up with another lo-fi solution, which is that we got them to take their iPhones and just like tape them behind the laptop, so the iPhone camera was pointing out just over the top of the laptop camera. So I would, wow. um, so I would be able to look on Zoom. Um, and it would almost be like my video village. I'd be able to say, well, that's pretty much what I'm going to get. Um, but I know that there's a camera that's recording it that's not connected to the internet. Um, oh, you had eight DPs. Yeah. Yeah. Eight DPs. <laughs> well, this is the thing. And so, and so part, part of my, part of the, mo the kind of most crucial bit of the prep was the week that I spent with the girls before we started shooting. Um, and what I did is I kind of sat with them when we talked backstory and we came up with motivations for, e for each of the scenes. You know, we kept the, the, the thing that the scriptman really had. Um, that was really useful was that was these kind of um, objectives for the characters in, in each of the scenes. And so, you know, I'd spend time working with working with the cast. This is what I want you to, you know, I need you to get from here to here within the scene. Um, we talk about character stuff. We throw in some backstory stuff that wouldn't necessarily be verbalized, but would just help give a bit of a sense of history. And and then, you know, and then a lot of the time was spent just setting um, getting them comfortable with the jobs that they wouldn't normally be having to do on set. So we, we set three or four depending on how la how long the characters last three or four different lighting states so on the day i'd be able to say lighting state one and that means your angle poise goes on your overhead goes off or whatever you know just be practical lights within their room we'd sort out um the blocking so i'd say you know at the beginning of the scene you're here then you've got to take the camera and offer, you know walk into your kitchen and we'd we'd kind of plot it out so uh and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse individually with all the actors so they knew what was going on within their own narrative and then on the friday before we started shooting i got all of them onto a zoom call and i said listen i've talked you through the movie i want you to to act out the movie don't 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 
don't perform it, but just just take me through all the beats of it in real time so I can see that you're all marrying up. Um, and we did that and, uh, you know, they'd really, you know, they, they, they just really wanted this to be good. I mean, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the film it, film it is unless everyone had really thrown in and they just, they'd, they'd put in the time, they'd committed. Um, and, you know, and, and then when we started shooting, we were able, they were able to just, um, to just focus on acting because the rest of it had become a kind of muscle memory. Every one of them is so good. I mean, all of these performances are so genuine and real and, you know, that's what makes it work. I mean, all the, all the work that the three of you did certainly is massively important, but if those performances had not had the verisimilitude that they do, mm. it wouldn't be anything. Think so, I was say, Go ahead, Jim. The, the thing is, like, we've put these girls through a ton of short films in the past, so this is almost like their reward. They stuck with us this long; they, yeah. they got to have a good, good film out of it. But no, you're you're completely right. These we could have had a bunch of friends who, who weren't very good actors. Um, it could have easily happened, but it's just lucky in this in our WhatsApp group we we had this group of actors who were incredible, and I don't think they knew how incredible they were and it took the world telling them how incredible they are for them to realize it and only now are they are they seeing it and like, oh wow maybe we are great and they are they are really really great <laughs> and it is and it's I'm such a think that too much yeah, yeah but, it, but it's such a tough gig it, like acting such a such a tough gig and i like you know especially we were paying, especially in lockdown yeah and yeah. i think you know some of them had, had you know had, had been been knocked back for you know roles they really wanted recently or they just they were start like there was some there was some some doubt setting in that you know and, and I and I think this movie like Jed said it really just um proved they proved to themselves just how how incredible they are and that they're totally up to the task. One of them was actually going to give up acting. I'm not going to say which one, but one of them told wow. me before host she was going to give up acting and mm. she's no longer going to give up acting. She's pursuing it, which is great. Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> So uh, how far apart were the locations for all of these uh, apartments or homes that uh, that you zoomed? They were um well there were most of them are in London so T Teddy is the only the only actor who we we hadn't met before we auditioned him um because he's he's also stunt qualified because we wanted to do something pretty nasty to him um and so mm -hmm. we just started reaching out to people that we could do this very specific nasty thing to and luckily we found somebody yeah, he, he his his reel was so good that even if he even if we couldn't have done the nasty thing to him i would have cast him anyway because he had just exactly <laughs> the right energy and um he was so you, miles didn't have, you yeah. didn't have one house with a lot of different rooms that you were all together oh no we were all we were all yeah we were all separate apart from Je Gemma, and, Gemma and Haley were pretty much on the same street um which is why why Gemma goes into Haley's apartment at the end they had, had Gemma and Haley had to vacate. We had to do a COVID clean and they had to come in. And um, wow. so, you know, we wanted, because we didn't want it to feel like, we, we wanted to feel like there was some sense of the world outside, even though we were doing it on computer screens and some sense of distance, um, you know, real, real distance. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, and I think a lot of the, the stuff we were able to pull off, the effects, some of the stunts, they were only possible because everyone was on furlough and they weren't doing anything else. And because, because literally anyone with an internet connection could suddenly help us out and be part of our movie, it became very easy to get a hold of these people. Um, you know, people like Dan Martin, who's an incredible SFX genius, who, you know, he did Possessor recently, he's just done our new movie, but he was incredibly busy and then suddenly, like everyone wasn't, and was able to come on and, you know, and do some of the effects on our movie. So we're very, very kind of, um, yeah, 
we, we you know it, it's, it's a very shitty situation but we're very fortunate to, to be able to have all these collaborators yeah and and uh, brilliantly conceived so Gemma what what was it like being bookended by these two men with encyclopedic knowledge of horror and you being a relative newcomer stepping into the pond oh my god I mean I'm not gonna you know pretend that I, I wasn't it, it was it wasn't that I was like oh god there's these like horror guys how am I gonna fit into that because you know I, I I do write horror but it was more um how am I going to like first of all writing over zoom like that's the new thing that I've never had to do in my life um how is it gonna how are we gonna build trust with each other to like you know say a stupid idea that like nobody likes how are we gonna build that rapport it's such a I think it's such an important thing in any writer's room um you know to be able to trust each other and have that kind of um and that shorthand share the same sense of humor there was no guarantee any of that was gonna happen and you know as Rob already said I'd only met him once a year ago um Jed I'd never met um and still have only met once really um so that's it was, enough that's enough wow. that's done <laughs> <laughs> and so it was it was really just like oh my god what if this is a shit show like what what if this you know what if we don't get on what if you know we're you know one of them has a huge ego or what if I you know what, what if I'm just talking over everybody there were so many you know slight anxieties you have in like writers rooms but it just was such a dream I'm not even just saying that because they're here and they can listen it was actually really fun we we watched a lot of horror movies. We just made each other laugh, and I think that's probably reflected in the film that we ended up creating together. It was just a joy, and it was just like two weeks of like, oh great, like I get to do something fun in lockdown while the world's ending. Um, so yeah, it was it was a, it was a dream. We got to do like three well, seances together as well. Like yes, yeah, that, that, was that bonds good. people together that's, apparently. Yeah. Like, seances. That's and we oh, one of our seances is still open. Like uh, the one we did with the cast, we like forgot to close it. So maybe yeah. we just had some kind of cosmic <laughs> bonding going on. Yeah, something. we're on the astral plane. <laughs> yeah. it, it's such a pleasure to see someone do something so new and so ingenious and do it so successfully that, that I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the film as a viewer. And I would just like to kind of quickly wrap up with asking how this movie and its success has changed either your lives or your careers or however. And Rob, let's start with you. I mean, kind of like I was saying before, it's been, it's just been a hugely clarifying th thing. I, and I, and I think the pandemic had a, had a lot, played a large part in that. I think it's been clarifying for a lot of people as to what's really important. And I was in a very different place at, at, at the start of the year and not quite knowing, not quite knowing what I, what I wanted to do or what would, what would make me, happy and making this film made me really happy it made me feel really creative it really um i don't know it just it got me it kind of got me fired fired up again you know i've been i've been doing this for for 10 years it's been 10 years since that first movie and um and i've always been trying to get back to that point i think get back to that point where you know maybe we don't have very much money but everyone on set wants to be there everyone is doing it for the love and you know yeah. and to be honest i think it's really I think it's a real turning point in, in my life making this movie because I, cause I kind of know what's important to me now. Um, I don't know about you guys, but it felt just like a reinvigoration. Yeah, Jed, what about you? Yeah, I mean, it's totally changed my kind of 
my, my view on it on everything really because I didn't think I really didn't expect this to be the one to blow us up I thought it would be the Sam Raimi film I, I generally so I hadn't prepared at all for this to be like a massive hit um but yeah I guess professionally it's obviously opened up a lot of doors for us together but also for me I've got a few things lined up which which are crazy and make, like, we'll talk about it another time but some crazy stuff's happening um so and I it was it's all because of host really it's all because of the opportunities that that host of has given and just a response for, from everyone it's crazy and also obviously i'm doing the fuzz bucket remake uh with, with Jamie and, and rob oh, oh god <laughs> Gemma, how about you how did this uh affect you? oh for me i think because as i've already mentioned i mainly work in tv so i, I just finished working on um like writing um, an episode on a netflix bbc horror tv show and then COVID happens, like, oh, great, like, filming's, when were they going to film again? Like, that's another, like, you know, these things take so long to make. It's just like, oh, my first credit's going to be so far away. And then um, this came along. And I think the thing I took away from hosts before any of the, you know, the reaction came out was really just the attitude of Rob and Jed. It was like, I'm quite a, oh. I think I'm quite a pessimistic person or quite skeptical. Like, oh yeah, sure. Sure, we're going to do this <laughs> film in lockdown. You're going to burn someone alive. Ha ha, right, let's just write that in the script, man. Um, and then they, and they just made me feel like a fool because they, they pulled it off. Um, so I think that was one of quite the nicest things that came out of it. It's like, you know what, like you can just, just do stuff. Like, you know, I think Rob, you said like, you know, someone's going to make a, you know, a lockdown movie. Why can't it be us? Um, and I think that was one of the things I really kind of took out from it and, and sure, like lots of wonderful things have come along since then, um, that probably related to host. Um, but that's, I think that's the thing that has, um, probably just struck quite a personal chord with me really for future. Well, it's so great. It's the perfect triumvirate, this collaboration made for something really special and unique. And I want to thank you so much for sharing uh, all the stories behind it. And hopefully we'll do this after the next one, too. Mikhail, can I, can I just say thank you for having us on? Um, because I know last week you had you didn't have a very good guest. You needed something Jesus. you needed something to kind of get that audience back up again, so you chose us. <laughs> really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, we got uh, we got Stephen King, Whoopi Goldberg, and Jed Shepard, Gemma Hurley, and Rob Savage. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> the Holy so Trinity. <laughs> and and all the best of luck on on all of the new projects that have been uh, coming together for you. And uh, I really wish you the best of luck. And thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Mick. Happy spookies. Happy, Happy spookies. spookies. <laughs>Thanks for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes.